welcome to the Reach Next Generation podcast. I'm Grace Jeffries, and I'm thinking about my future. To help me with this, I'm speaking with successful women to get an understanding of the challenges they have faced throughout their careers, how they became them, and what tips they for girls of my age. Today, my guest is Louisa Harrison-Walker, who is the founder of award-winning Sheffield-based ethical recruitment and retention firm Benchmark. Louisa now works as a business improvement consultant, helping organisations with their people, process and profit margins. She is also the co-chair of Sheffield Business Together, we'll focus on that a little bit later, which unites like-minded businesses to collaborate, connect and share resources with glass-reach charities to support the people and communities of the great city. Louisa is the CEO of the Sheffield Chamber of Commerce, and has helped us hugely in arranging our next summit at Sheffield University. Thanks for joining me today, Louisa. Can we start by you telling us all how your career took you to the role you have today? Yes, we can. Well, thank you for having me. Um, So how did my career take me to where I am today? So let's think. Um, I actually think my career probably started when I was about your age, when I was um, 11 or 12 years old, and I started uh, a car washing group with my friends to make money on a Saturday. Um, after that, I started working as a waitress and I worked through school, through college, through university. Um, and I think every job I've ever done has taught me something. Mm. And I think that's a great mindset to have is your career is a ladder. You start at the bottom and you work your way up. And if you do your best in every job you do, it opens another door and another window, which leads to another opportunity. So I I fell into recruitment when I was in my early 20s after I came back from traveling. Um, I loved it. I worked for a big national brand called Office Angels. I spent about five years there. Um, And after about five years, I thought, I think I could probably do this for myself. Um, I was frustrated with... uh, the bureaucracy in the organisation and how mm. difficult it was to make changes, changes I thought were really necessary for the better. Um, and so I, I decided to to make the leap and set up my own business, uh, which I ran for 16 years. And I just sold that this summer. So I did a management buyout. So uh, one of the girls who'd worked for me for nine years bought the business off me. Um, and then, as you say, I just recently became the permanent chief exec of the Sheffield Chamber of Commerce. Brilliant. So when you were at school, did you have any perhaps any subjects that you enjoyed or any idea that would maybe lead you on to what you wanted to do or be? Or did that happen, say, more later in life? Do you know what? I I really didn't. And I think I think it's really difficult when we say to people, what do you want to be when you grow up? And what do you want to? Because I still don't know what I want to be yet. I'm 44 and, um, you know, I'm doing what I do now and I love it. Will I do this forever? Who knows? Um, I found school um challenging in the way that sit down sit still listen to somebody talking at you that was the style of teaching when I was at school mm-hmm. I found that quite difficult I'm a very active kinesthetic learner you know like your summits I like to be up and involved and moving around I find that learning happens best when it's really engaging um okay. yeah but you know I, I did enjoy school and I, I I particularly loved um you know I suppose the subjects that were more vocational so I did um A-level sports studies um and I loved drama I did English literature and English language I I did love science particularly the practical experiments and such Mm. um but no I really didn't have a clue what I wanted to do or what I wanted to be 
I've always had a really strong sense of kind of social justice and, and being very conscious that other people haven't had the same structural advantages that I've had. Um, so I think that thread always ran through with me that I always wanted to, to do good and try and help others. So I was always kind of involved in in charity work and such. And I was, you know, in the brownies and the guides and pathfinders. And I feel like they were really good foundations for, um, I suppose, like Christian values, actually. I'm not religious, but those those when I was younger, those places took place. Those groups took uh, place blah, blah, blah. <laughs> when I was younger. Um, the the brownies guides and pathfinders took place in a in a church, um, mm-hmm. and there was definitely that ethos of looking out for others and uh, you know like the good neighbour mentality. And I think that was a really healthy thing to learn quite young, actually, to be responsible for others and responsible for your community. Definitely. Well, I know that you went to Manchester University, but how important do you think it actually is to go to university with all of the apprenticeship schemes and graduate schemes that you can find in lots of different companies? Yeah, so I studied, I, I studied my fit, my degree I did at Leeds University and then I did do uh, the Goldman Sachs course at Manchester University. Mm-hmm. When I went to university, I was very lucky that I was one of the last years through where you didn't have to pay to go to university. Oh. So I think that was quite different, you see. So I think it was it was kind of expected. You went to school, you did your A-levels, you went on to university. Both my parents were teachers and were involved in higher education. So um it was kind of always that path was always predestined for me. Um, yeah. I think it was a brilliant experience living on your own. I think, you know, three years of independent living that teaches you so much and being put in a house with people from different backgrounds and different parts of the country. Um, that was really insightful. You know, the subject that I studied, I did social policy, which was really around policy to do with the welfare state. Um, but again, it comes back to the style of teaching, you know, lecture halls, lecture theatres. Uh, I found that I had to endure it, if I'm honest. So <laughs> yeah. I didn't I didn't particularly enjoy that aspect of studying. Um, but, yeah, you're right to mention now there are, uh, you know, apprenticeships and even degree level apprenticeships. They weren't really an option when I was young. And actually, had they been and there was an option of something more vocational where you could um apply the theory of your learning to the practical application in the workplace and be in a workplace I think I would have absolutely loved that and I I probably would have um, done a more creative subject and and I think I would have had a um, I think I would have really enjoyed that yeah. So the world is changing so much and also quite quickly also Um, what do you think the work for women may look like in 10 years time or what do you maybe hope it may look like? Uh, I've noticed in the last decade, I've seen a lot of change for the better. So to give you an example, when I first got involved with the Sheffield Chamber, I uh, applied to be on their council, which is like, you know, 30 elected people, you know, apply and you you get a spot on council if you get through the process. And I was one of two, maybe three women at that time out of 30. Um, And um, when I was asked to be involved in a working group about the council, um, and they asked me to be honest and I, I gave the feedback that it didn't feel representative of the community that and the business community, not just from a gender perspective, but, you know, across the spectrum, to be honest. And um, so they said, OK, great. Well, will you chair the council then? Um, so I'm a big believer in, you know, don't just complain, contribute. So I thought, actually, I can see what the issues are here. So I'm going to try and be part of the solution. 
So I became their first female chair of council in 157 years. They've never had a female chair before. And I worked really hard through the nominations committee to pipeline people for the council and for the board that were not your typical what you'd expect. So now a lot of the rooms I sit in, certainly in the chamber, you know, it's 50 percent men and women. There's a really great diverse makeup in terms of neurodiversity, uh, race age, religion, sexuality, all across the board now. Um, So I feel there's been a massive step change in the last 10 years. What would I like to see in the next 10 years? Um, I feel like a lot of the issues in the world at the moment stem from a certain style of leadership. And I feel like a lot of the people in positions of power and decision making are men. And they make decisions for different reasons than women. Um, I sit in many rooms and in many boards where I see egos come into play in a way that I don't see with women. I feel this is real generalisation, but I think it's fair. This is my experience, my perspective. Women tend to collaborate more. They look for opportunities to collaborate with each other and for the greater good. And they're often prepared to put their ego to one side um, and uh, focus on the outcome. The outcome's more important than the process or who gets the credit. So I would like to see more women making more decisions that really genuinely influence. You know, as we saw through coronavirus, there were decisions being taken in government in rooms with 12 men in that affected 51% of the population. And I think that's absolutely unacceptable. So what I would like to see is getting us to a point where the rooms in which decisions are made are actually representative of the general population and not just an elite group of people that make decisions that benefit them. Yeah, hopefully um, some people can have more of a, I would say, perspective on how it's going to impact the rest of the world versus themselves. But I definitely see, as you mentioned, kind of a more, a lot more people tending to do that since Corona because they had to really think about different things. Yeah, I think I think what I've realised is unless you engage with people that have different lived experiences than you, you have a very one sided view. And so there's so much richness that comes from um, taking the time to understand different people and understand their journeys and understand their perspectives. Um, and they, those perspectives and those lived experiences need to be fed in to policy and fed into decisions, because otherwise we're never going to address you know, the root causes of inequality, um, unless we start bringing people into the room. One of my favourite phrases is, we can't change the story unless we change the storytellers. Yeah, definitely. So as part of our Reach Next Generation Summit, we look at diversity and opportunity for young girls from the black and minority communities. Um, Do you think that we're seeing a more open conversation about racial equality since the Black Lives Matter movement started? I would hope so. And in in Sheffield particularly, (coughs) excuse me, we just had the Race Equality Commission um, that uh, that was chaired by Kevin Hilton, the fantastic guy's professor, um, who they interviewed hundreds of people across the city from all sorts of different institutions um, and from all different walks of life to get their perspective um, on racism in Sheffield and how that plays out. Um, And the Race Equality Commission made a series of recommendations um, for all sorts of different institutions, for the councils, for the anchor institutions, for businesses, for community groups. Mm -hmm. So I feel 
we have really shone a light on ourselves as a city about what do we do well and what could we do better. So in particular, in my organisation, I'm really working hard to change some of our practices that have just always been a certain way that till you stop and actually reflect, you realise are actually not inclusive. So I feel like um, a, a lot more organisations in Sheffield have really woken up to that. And we are everybody's got a common objective to try and um, reflect on their own organisations and put into place better practices to ensure that we just actually we have a commitment as a city to be an anti-racist city mm -hmm. and um, you know how can you not agree with that how would you want to be anything other than anti-racist yeah um, but it's now making sure that people put into practice the actions and that they take on the responsibility themselves to make the changes that are required um, so that we can just start to see more equality of opportunity Definitely. Now, throughout your career, have you say had any mentors or have there been anyone that you particularly admire? Um, I did work with a mentor, actually, when I first set my business up, an Australian chap who um, was introduced to me through a friend of a friend who had set a business up himself in my sector about five years ahead of me. Um, okay. And he was a fantastic mentor. He was a real straight talker. Um, you know, quite intense, quite full on. But I really liked that because I, I just knew where I stood with him. Um, but because he was further down the road in the same journey that I was on, he was able to pay forward to me, you know, all the lessons he'd learned and I could avoid some of the mistakes that, that he'd made. So he was a brilliant mentor. Um, about three years ago, um, I lost somebody. I lost a friend of mine who was only 39 um, and it was really sad and I found it really difficult to deal with. And I sought help from a professional and I worked with this psychotherapist for about six months. And I have to say that having that investment into myself in terms of learning to manage myself and manage like emotional regulation, but also how to take care of myself so that I didn't find myself in a burnout situation again um, was really powerful. So I think having mentors or having um, advice and guidance from others particularly people that are qualified or experienced or further down the line than you um, is absolutely essential, actually, because otherwise you'll get there, but it will take longer and it'll be harder. Of course. Now, you seem like you've done so much throughout your career. So I have to ask, do you still have any personal or maybe professional ambitions that you wish to fulfill in the future? Um, yeah, it's funny you say that. I do I do often sit and reflect and think, gosh, I am actually a very busy person. To say I'm forty four hours. If if I was if I was to get a knock on the door tomorrow and they were to say, Oh, that's it, your time's up, you've got to leave now, I would say, Do you know what? I've had a brilliant life and I've had some fantastic experiences and I don't regret anything that I've been involved in and that I've done. It's been a very full life so far. Um I think the the main thing for me now is um trying to have an impact where I live um a few years ago I found I got very overwhelmed with everything that was happening in the world and um I think when you're highly empathic it's very difficult to see people suffering and not take it on yourself and when you can't do anything about that that can be quite challenging and and, and can really kind of have a negative effect on your psyche and your emotional state so okay. I made the decision um, that I could think global, but I would act local. Um, you might remember that Mother Teresa quote, you know, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. 
And so actually, you know, trying to just have a positive impact on those closest to me, um, in my family and in my community. So really, my ambition is to just keep doing that, to just keep trying to have a positive impact in the city I live in and the people that I come into um, into contact with and just try and um, just keep improving things, challenging things, challenging the behaviours I don't like, um, standing up. And sometimes you've got to have broad shoulders, you know. I've had an incident this weekend on uh, LinkedIn. I've posted something about refugees and somebody's responded to me quite uh, <laughs> Um, I'd say aggressively, actually, and as, um, you know, really challenging back. And I've really had to stand my ground and um, I could have just shied away from that and let them bully me. Um, but I was like, no, it, it, it's right. And what I believe is right. And it's my belief. And I'm going to defend that. Um, so I think, yeah, it's, it's knowing your core values and being prepared to stick up for them, even in the face of challenge. And even when that's uncomfortable and can make you feel uncomfortable, um, if it's your truth, you've got to stick to it. Yeah, definitely. Um, before we go, can you tell us a little bit about Sheffield Business Together, as I mentioned earlier? Yeah, sure. So Business in the Community, which is um, an, an organisation, it's the Responsible Business Forum. Um, I met a wonderful woman called Carolyn McConnell about three years ago, and Business in the Community had seconded her to set up something called Sheffield Business Together. And it's basically a brokerage where charities can go to and say, I need ABCD. And it can be a, it's a range of all sorts of things. It might be skills, expertise, mentoring. It might be an office. It might be I need something building, mending, whatever it is. Um, and then uh, Carolyn's job was to try and find the private sector companies that would lean in and, and help with that request. And um, so I worked with Carolyn to bring Sheffield Business together into the chamber so that instead of her only having sort of 10 or 15 businesses she could ask, she had a thousand businesses that she could ask. So we work in projects across environments. So in Sheffield, we did a green fence around a primary school where the children were suffering really high levels of pollution from the passing traffic. Um, and then social mobility. So we work in 17 schools across Sheffield, nine of them special educational needs schools, delivering employer engagements. Um, and then we also do um, uh, social action. So it might, it's things like food bank campaigns and um, gathering things, welcome kits together for the victims of human trafficking. Um, I'm really proud of it. I think it's a brilliant thing. And I think what's really heartwarming is there are so many businesses, charities, social enterprises in Sheffield that are really socially responsible and they want to help. And what we've done is enabled them um, to help in, more, in a more meaningful way and collaborating with other businesses so that the, the sum of the parts is greater than one person doing something. For example, on the green fence at Hunter's Bar, there were over 70 businesses involved in that project. Um, so, yeah, um, and we've now got an additional resource. The Chamber's funded an additional person. So that's just going to continue to grow. And we're just going to continue to keep trying to help the charities because they've had such a difficult few years. Um, and they have got a kind of a, a perfect storm of, a reduction in fundraising activities and cost of living, meaning people are giving less, but they've got um, additional demand for their services. So they really do need as much of help as we can give them because a lot of what they work, a lot of the work they do goes unseen, but you'll know when they're not there. Definitely. And finally, just to finish off on today's episode, um, and this is a new question for all of our guests this series. And that is, if you could change one thing in the world right now, what would it be? I will mention uh, the world seems very hectic and maybe even crazy at the moment. Uh, so try and pick maybe one out of five important things that you maybe want to change. 
gosh, there's so many things I'd want to change. Um, <laughs> I would actually say, well, <laughs> right, I'll be tactful. Um, I would actually probably the, the, be, the thing that would have the biggest impact would probably be if we actually had a fair and impartial media. I okay. think I think that would be really helpful if actually, um, uh, you know, for for a long time now, the BBC has been people that have been placed in the BBC have affiliations with the Conservative Party. So in a way now. Uh, so much of what we get told and shown is censored and is um, well we saw it with Brexit didn't we you know the the messages in which we were um, the messages that were that were portrayed to us were not the truth and they yeah. weren't challenged and that led to a devastating outcome for the country so I think yeah fair and impartial media um, and I would also just like to return to the days where in order to be a politician you had to have morals and ethics and if you if you displayed any behaviours where you didn't have morals and ethics and it was evident, you left. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I feel like that's been a really damaging in the last three years. That's been a huge step change. People have been able to behave in abhorrent ways and continue in roles. And I think that sends a terrible message to everybody. And you wouldn't get away with it in any other organisation. So I don't know why we let our politicians get away with it. Of course. Well, I really enjoyed chatting with you today, Louisa. Thank you so, so much. And I'm sure everyone listening will now be thinking about some of the choices they're about to make in their own careers. Keep listening to the Reach Next Generation podcasts as they talk to many more brilliant women. And more details about us are at reachnextgeneration.com. Thank you to our fantastic sponsors, Ideal Standard, Barclays, Levi Strauss, Aviva, Green King and Geldwin. And a special thank you to Chris Rea, of ACL for his general support too.